0: Jane Brown. Libby
1: is off for this week. Great to have you here with us on Fight Back. Unless there is a last-minute change in plans by the union leadership for the province's education workers, 55,000 CUPE members are planning to strike tomorrow, and that means most schools in the GTA will be closed tomorrow and for the duration of this strike. In the background, the Ford PCs are expected today to pass legislation which will impose a contract on the workers and ban them from... Um, striking by using the constitution's notwithstanding clause
0: and now it's time to tune into the town
1: let me introduce our tune into the town panelists lauren o'neill senior news editor at blog joins me in studio former toronto city councillor and deputy mayor anna by is on the phone as is david crombie former mayor of toronto hello to you all
2: Hello. How
1: are you? Well, certainly this is more of a provincial issue than a municipal one, but it affects everyone in municipalities across the province especially for people across the province who are responsible for taking care of children, whether it's grandparents, parents, guardians. Uh, and it can be expensive as well if you are working and you rely on the schools being open so that uh, your children will have a place to be during the day. What are your thoughts on how we got here and how to get a resolution? David, I'll start with you.
3: Well, I think it needs to be said that this is a tragedy that could be avoided. And it could be avoided by both sides. I I don't understand why it's not moved moved in a, in a certain direction. That direction should be well, Let me say first of all that that the, the the province by by talking about the notwithstanding clause has transformed a labor dispute into a constitutional issue, which is bizarre. They shouldn't be doing that. They're using it like it's taffy. Uh, the, the the notwithstanding clause is a very important part of the constitution and should be used in such a way. The way out, it seems to me, and I don't understand why it has not happened, is that there should be compulsory arbitration between the two. If the two sides can't get together, then compulsory arbitration should be applied. And secondly, uh, the, the, the province should then withdraw its rest of the, threat on the Union, and it's going to take away its striking
2: rights. Lauren, what do you think? I think that it's really dangerous to talk about taking away workers' right to fair and collective bargaining. Uh, bargaining. I mean, I understand what parents are going through and what children have gone through in the last couple of years missing school. I mean, that's terrible, but like David said, he's, he's taking a labor dispute and turning it into a constitutional issue. Even Justin Trudeau said that he wasn't in fan, like a, a fan of what was going on, so... I don't know what the solution is, but it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Um, if the teachers, and, and it looks like they are going to go on strike, they will be getting fined $4,000 a day. Right. QP itself will be fined $500,000 a day. So this is, like, big money. I know that a lot of education workers probably can't afford to be throwing around $4,000 a day. Who can? Um, but the right to strike is pretty important, I think, and a lot of people agree with that. So
1: you i think you misspoke there you said teachers right and then oh, education it, workers education i'm so workers. sorry i keep no, saying it's, that. It's, yeah. it's no yeah. it's okay cuz some of uh, the education workers are like teachers in that they're assisting developmentally challenged children children with autism etc so yeah. they they do have a sophisticated skill set no oh, doubt sure.
2: and custodians i mean support staff of an office like these are all very functional critical roles for schools
1: right anna Bailao, your initial thoughts well,
4: I, I I agree with what said. I mean, this is a serious serious action that is being taken against workers' action, and I think we need to think about the impact that is going to ha- happen and 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 is going to have on any labor negotiation in the future. What what does this mean for the for the workers' rights in this province? Actually, is this is this the new normal? Uh, but it's uh, one thing that I would like to add is that I think this is also a symptom of what has been happening you know now everybody is talking about kids need to be in school well kids needed to be in school for a long time before and they weren't in school because of lack of investment actually because we were one of the jurisdictions that had kids at home the longest because the investments that needed to happen in our classrooms uh to have you know uh uh the the facilities to to deal with the covid weren't there as well so i think you know, to say that it's all about the kids now, it's a little bit misleading because it hasn't been about the kids for a long time.
1: Uh, Anna, we've had callers uh, phone in and talk about those mixed messages that we've heard from the Ford PCs over recent years, even as far back as 2019 when they were implementing some online learning as well, and promoting online learning as as being a good way, yes. Uh, and, And the phone lines are open if you'd like to get into this discussion. It is gripping the province absolutely this is the hot button issue numbers to call are 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740 on the parts of the boards so let's just start with the TDSB the TCDSB david is it a good idea to actually shut down the schools uh, in the event of tomorrow's strike
3: well, I, I guess they'll have to make their judgments locally. Some, I gather, some some boards will be shutting them down. Some boards will keep be keeping them open. And I think they're just making the judgment on the basis of the resources uh, available to them. That if they don't have the resources, they can't open them. Some may have the resources and will. Uh, so I, I I think they'll have to leave it to their to their judgment. Uh, but I think that it's in the hands of of the of the province and the union. To, to, walk, to talk through the mediator and, and have the mediator bring them together and do, and, and, and bring about a, 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 an agreement that says uh, that there will be compulsory arbitration, the schools can go forward while, while the arbitration is being done, uh, and secondly, that the, the, the province pulls in its horns and, 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 and says, look, we're, we shouldn't have used the, the, uh, uh, such a powerful weapon as an notwithstanding clause, and we withdraw it. That will make the peace. The kids will go back to school... And we can go back and be more sensible again.
1: Well, to that point, Lauren, is this a question of who blinks first? I mean, why not call off the legislation and also call off the strike until there is a negotiated settlement?
2: Well, I mean, that's the question, right? Why aren't they taking the more logical, peaceful way um, than being so disruptive? Um, in terms of the schools closing on Friday, I think that some of them might have to because of all this editorial, um, sorry, editorial, educational support staff early childhood educators, and and things like that, they're critical to running these schools. And I think it's also, you know, the boards are showing solidarity with their workers as well, if they're going to be shutting down the schools um, and kind of showing solidarity for their right to strike. Um, I I think that, like the other panelists have said, a lot of this could be avoided if they just kind of go back to bargaining and, you know, don't invoke the notwithstanding clause. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and
1: it used to be in the past that, um, well, first of all, there would be a work to rule typically before there was an escalation to an actual strike. But in the event of strikes, there would be a picket line outside the school, but students could still physically go to school. So this is this is something new that schools are actually going to close down.
4: Yeah, I, I, I think it's a mixture of some of them being very stretched and looking at the resources, as, as David was saying, and saying, like, how, do, how do we maintain the kids safe and in a clean environment and, and, and teach uh, with only teachers in, in the building, um, you know, keeping in mind the sizes of classrooms and the sizes of some of these schools. So it, it, I think there's a logistical challenge that they're dealing with and, and I, I agree they need to assess it as well. But I agree that there is a bit of solidarity. I think everybody's looking at this and say and, and very scared, not only about the impact that it's having right now and with this union, but the impact that it's having to workers movements and, and, and workers uh in, in the in the future as well. It all um, just one yes. I, yes. Go ahead, sir. One of I, I just wanted to add that I think I think we all feel that the, this negotiation just has escalated very quickly. And I have to say from both sides in, in this instance, it has escalated. It, it feels I, I know that they've been saying that they've been in negotiations for five months, but it is true that even in the summer, like the, the tone of it, it was so antagonistic to each other already that, that I think the emotions were so high that, uh, I, I don't know how we're going to get out of this without a strike, to be honest. I, I just can't see it because i it just feels the emotions are just so high on both I, sides.
1: I agree. I agree. It's our tune into the town panel. Anna Bailau, David Crombie, Lauren O'Neill, Jane for Libby. And let's get to the phones. Uh, it's a conversation our Zoomer radio listeners want to get in on. Daryl in Toronto, go ahead. You're up first.
4: Hi. Uh, I'm, just, I'm curious how the whole notwithstanding clause thing works. I would think that the government would have to pass legislation first, have that legislation challenged in court, have a court cross the legislation before they could invoke the notwithstanding
1: clause. Is that not the case? Um, I? Who would like to take that, Anna? Yeah, Or oh, David?
3: Sure. So, uh, that is the case. Up until now, that's been exactly the process. And now what the, the, the Ford government has done is, is uh, used it, with what they're now calling, preemptively. They're actually trying to use the notwithstanding cause before uh, they've gone through that process you just mentioned. Uh, so they're wrong, and I think they will find out that they're wrong. They're not only wrong, I think, legally, to use it preemptively, but I think they're going to be wrong politically because they're fooling around where they really important. Indeed, my judgment, uh, that the Charter of Rights and Freedom is sacred to the Canadian understanding of life. So I think they're using it so frivolously, it makes me mad.
1: So in that case, then, if we have to go through the process um, before the notwithstanding clause can be invoked, then, Lauren, they would not be able to give these fines out as early as tomorrow and maybe even next week or the week after.
2: I mean, they're saying that they're going to try and pass the legislation today. I know that Doug Ford has a majority, so it probably won't be too difficult to pass, but um, but I mean, like David said, the the Charter of Rights and Freedoms are, is really important. I mean, this is Section thirty three says that the provincial legislature can, you know, put a new law a law in place and then override parts of the Charter for five years for a period of five years. Right. That's that seems a little long to me as well. So, yeah, I mean,
1: yeah. so Anna, how do we get them back to the table? You know, I mean. My, I don't know if my solution makes sense. If they both say, look, I'll call off the strike and the other side says we won't pass the legislation, let's sit down and talk. I mean, is that too simplistic a solution? No, that that's what needs to happen at this. I, I don't think, you know, it,
4: it can't be just one side doing it at the, this time. Like I, like I said, I feel the emotions are way too high. They kind of need to say, OK, we, we, we need to go back to the bargaining team. And both of them say we're, we're calling it off. Uh, we agree that that, that that's, needs to be the negotiation right now is they both agree to remove both the strike and the notwithstanding clause and go right. back to the bargaining table. That's, right. that's really what needs to happen.
1: Because, David, right, yeah. in, in these so, situations, I mean, everybody has to give up something.
3: Well, it's, uh, not only that, I think that here that they've got at least an opportunity, which is, I think, uh, not so far used. And that is that they're in mediation and they can, what, they can both sides save face. Uh, the kids go back to school and we can continue the bargaining through uh, the, the mediator who says, I've heard from both sides and they both sides are, are agreeing to compulsory arbitration. That's what needs to be done. Right.
1: And and hold off on passing this legislation, right? Yeah, absolutely. yeah. It stops everything except
3: for that and life goes back to normal while well, well, the compulsory arbitra- arbitration goes on. The, in, in short, they can save face by both getting in touch with the mediator. The mediator can, can indicate publicly as there's uh, what we've just talked
1: about. Okay, yeah. I think I think just we've... Using the mediator, uh, to, uh, I think, would be helpful. We've all solved the problem here on <laughs> Fight Back.
2: That's <laughs> an unprecedented <laughs> move, you know. That's right. Yeah.
1: Uh, let's take a couple more calls before we switch topics. Sita in Mississauga, go ahead.
5: Hi, thanks, Jane. I totally agree with Mr. Fold. Um Bail back to work, no strike, let's talk. Schools should not be closed, not even for a day. COVID and teacher strike, previously has cost the students too much and everyone deserve a raise but they're asking for too much considering they are getting 10 loose days they can be paid six days off a good government pension and they're being paid over minimum rate wage starting from $25 to
1: $40 per hour Sita, we appreciate your opinion. A lot of people share your thoughts. Uh, let's go to Ron in Guelph. Ron, go ahead. Um, I'm having a hard time. Can you hear me at all? I can, Ron, I can. yes. Okay. Um,
3: I alluded to this on Monday. Um, this is what I call the um, the dog and pony show for over 30 years involving educational workers. I agree that the teaching assistant deserve more money without question, but um, this isn't I, I think that the, the best answer going forward is to make all of these things essential workers and then get away from this. Because we go through this every three years between the teachers and everything else. And it doesn't matter what government we've had in power. It started with the NDP and then Mike Harris and then Dalton McGinty and every government seems to have problems with the uh Teachers' unions and the CUPA
4: union.
1: Okay, well, I can't hear you all that well, but we get your point. Absolutely, this does seem to be a systemic problem, regardless of who's in power. Okay, let's change topics here with our tune into the town panel and speak more specifically to the city of Toronto. A city of Toronto staff has put out a survey asking what the general public thinks regarding their Cafe To program and how it might be improved for future years. So So they want to hear from restaurant operators, customers, the general public, um, a lot of people who drive in the city. Uh, Lauren, not happy about Cafe To because it does take up that curb lane. But on the other hand, it's been a wonderful solution to staying outside and eating in restaurants during COVID.
2: You know, it's sustained a lot of small businesses that otherwise would have been completely shut down. I think that well, there are two different – there's sidewalk cafes, which are on the sidewalks, and then curb lane cafes. Those are the ones that I think drivers take up issue with. And, and as a cyclist, it, it's also kind of terrifying to be going between cars and a little a curb lane um, patio. But at the same time, it's added so much vibrancy to the city. A lot of people really seem to enjoy it. Um, I personally just took this – the survey, the City of Toronto survey this morning. It it took me about seven minutes. Um, And what do they ask you? They just ask, what are your thoughts? You know, are you a pedestrian? Do you bike? Do you drive? Um, And how has this impacted you? And kind of like, do you find it easier to get around? Do you find that there's more congestion? Um, Do you listen to live music on patios? And then it asks you which neighborhoods um, that, and you can like give them detailed feedback as well. It's multiple choice, but then they have all these forms like, tell us more. So
1: Well, that's great that you did that. (laughs) Uh, And Anna Lau, you probably knew this was going to be happening before you left City Council.
4: Yes. I mean, we did it last year as well. And this was a program that was in, in response to uh, the the struggling that restaurants were going through. And we were looking for ideas and ways to, to, to help them out. Um, but it was very successful. And it's very successful because during the pandemic, something happened that people are enjoying the outdoors and our are- Public spaces in very different ways and enjoying it a lot more, and and so we had the benefit of helping small business business uh, benefit of having more people uh, outside and and wanting to to use more of our, our public space to, for their enjoyment, and now it's like okay how do we go back to our normal routine and and still have this great thing that came out of the pandemic that a lot of people enjoy. There there was a survey uh, last year, over 90% of people were really positive about these things. Now, we've heard several comments that, you know, they need to be nicer. They need, you know, people don't like the big bollards and the cement, like we could do a nicer job at it. Some people complain about traffic. So I think it is important to continue to improve it. Uh, and, and change it to make sure that it continues to be a great program in the city of Toronto. Uh,
1: David, what do you think about CAFE TO? I, I think it probably was one of the more positive things that came out of the pandemic.
3: Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think also we, we should keep in mind that this is historic. Uh, what's been going on for the past couple of years and will go on for the next couple is an historic transformation of the, of the use of our streets and, and, and all change that's really important and big. Um, takes time and there's lots of discussion, but I have no doubt that it was on the right track. The city did the right thing. I would agree with those that we should, that the, the more we can understand that it's more permanent, then we can make them look better because right now they're they're very unattractive. But right. On the other hand, they're very popular and they deserve to be used. So I'm hoping that it will the city will move it over the next very short while and, and uh, begin to have standard for what they look like because they look pretty crummy right now.
1: That's a good yeah. point, Lauren. Um, yeah. And as a millennial, and you're you're out on the town a lot, uh, how much was the concept abr- embraced by your generation?
2: Oh, huge, huge, especially when bars and restaurants were still closed indoors. People were so happy to just have a place to go out and socialize. Um, and now we all love it. It just animates the, pub- the outdoor public space so much. Um, and, and still, like, I-, I was talking to someone last night who has a restaurant in Ossington. He was saying that, like, what it did for their business was great. They had a curb lane and an outdoor sidewalk patio and it, it just feels like not Europe but it does, it feels like a more like communal neighborhood space it's so nice so I mean the neighborhood I live in like Trinity Bellwoods Ossington it's pretty young a lot of young people who like to go out and eat and drink so it's, it's just a really good vibe all over the place when when it's uh, patio season <laughs> and a final comment on Cafe
1: To before we move on
4: I, I think that it, it transforms certain, certainly certain parts of the city. Uh, Laura spoke about Offington. I mean, I, I think that's one of the best examples of where Cafetio worked so well. Um, it, it, it was amazing to go through the streets and, and just see everybody really enjoying it. More, more of the neighborhood, more of the community, more of, the, of, of our local businesses and supporting it. So I think this program has great potential. I agree we need to do a much better job of making it look nicer. Uh, I think as the, the time goes by, that's what's going to happen. Um, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to continue to be able to enjoy this in our city.
1: Okay, it's our tune into the town panel. We have time for one more topic with Anna Bailau, David Crombie, and Lauren O'Neill. We learned this week that pedestrian traffic on our downtown streets in Toronto reached pre-pandemic levels, and in fact reached pre-pre-pandemic levels, because when we looked at uh, the weekend of Thanksgiving, the long weekend, more than half a million people walked along Young Street downtown over that long weekend. That is a higher number than in the same weekend in 2021, 2020. No surprise, but also the same weekend in 2019. Uh, so, David, the, the people are back. They are downtown. They're at the Eaton Center. They're you know using those cross diagonal crosswalks. They're they're out there.
3: That, absolutely, and it's a, it's a pleasure to see. It's the ballet of the streets back with us. It's a, a, a delight to see it. So I, I don't. I know it's uh, harder for some people, but in terms of the the, the the care the care of the streets and making sure people are safe and so on. But um, if you ever walk through cities where people don't use the streets anymore, you're always glad to see heavy. You- use of streets in toronto
1: it is quite remarkable lauren what myron and i pulled up to the intersection of young and dundas not that long ago and the crisscrossing pedestrian crosswalks and the buzz you know for those 30 seconds that people i mean it's really quite something and and i know it's not um solely here in the city of toronto other cities have implemented it as well but that seems to be a very effective way of getting people to other sides of the street
2: yeah, the scramble the got, scramble. You know, they've got a Shibuya crossing in, in Tokyo. I've been, it's one of the largest of its kind in the world like that. It's it's just like the young Dundas one. And, but really, really big. And like the energy going through as people are going through this big scramble um, is so exciting. And I love that about young Dundas square. I mean, I didn't need a survey to tell me that pedestrian traffic was up in that area. <laughs> um, I, I always call it sidewalk gridlock or pedestrian congestion when you're walking and you're like, Oh, okay. Wow. There's a lot of people, but I, you know, it is, despite the fact that sometimes it can be, like, uh, harder to get around fast, I'm, I'm a really quick shopper. I like to speed around, and I'm like, okay, uh, lots of people. But it's also really nice to have that vibrant energy back. And, yeah, I, I've seen people do, like, wedding photo shoots, engagement shoots in the middle of that crossing. I'm okay. <laughs> kind very far. They're So it's really fun. Not surprised. Anna? Well, I,
4: let me tell you, I, I did go to City Hall in the middle of the pandemic a few times, and it was quite depressing. So I am Thrilled to be able to walk through the downtown and see the uh, the, the, the the all those people on the sidewalk. Uh, it, and I keep thinking to the impact that is going to have on the local business, but all, all also on the cultural institutions, sports venues that we have downtown. All this, that it to me, I say, okay, they're they're back. They went through this you know people are going to our museums people are going to concerts people are going to sports events and that I think that's great to see we need our downtown back Um, I know that people are still on the hybrid model uh, in terms of office. I think that's going to be a new normal. Mm -hmm. But it's good to see that the downtown is thriving and people are coming back and that we're going to have to move full speed ahead with, you know, projects to revitalize our young that is in the books, to make sidewalks wider, to to have uh, more pedestrian friendly streets. And it's good to see that we're still going to need
1: that. And that is the plan, is it, Anna, moving forward? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, yes, and and yes, David, what kinds of things seem to be working well in terms of getting people around and yet keeping them safe? Because pedestrian safety has been an ongoing issue in this city.
3: There is no magic pill, and, and I'm sure Anna can speak wisely to this. Um, the fact is we now have more ways of moving around, more vehicles in use, from motorized scooters to look like motorized skates. I mean, it's amazing the number of different modes now, and we have to accommodate them in what they now call complete, complete streets. It's a, so it's a it's a it's a work in progress. You have to simply try and relax and enjoy it.
1: Okay, it's been a fun and varied discussion. Thank you. Tune into the town panelists. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lauren O'Neill, Senior News Editor at BlogTO. David Crobby, former Mayor of Toronto. And Anna Bylau, former Toronto City Councillor and former Deputy Toronto Mayor. It's Jane for Libby. And coming up next here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, what can we Canadians expect in today's financial fall update? We discuss with our panel of experts next.
0: Jane Brown.
1: Libby is off this week. Finance Minister Christian Freeland will table her mid-year budget update in the House of Commons after the markets close at four this afternoon. What can we expect to hear about the state of the economy and our federal finances? And how will clean energy play into today's fall economic statement? Joining us to discuss, John Mikatishan, conservative activist, political consultant and president of Bradgate Research group, and NDP commentator Tom Parkin. Hey, John. Hi, Tom. Hi, how are you? Uh, Tom, I'll begin with you. How much uh, is the deal with Jugmeet Singh and the New Democrats going to factor into what we hear today from the finance minister?
6: Well, the New Democrats are going to keep pushing for a couple of key things. Uh, Singh has been pushing hard to try and uh, remove tax on home heating. You know, we don't have tax on food here. We don't have tax on children's clothing. These are considered essential. I think in Canada, home heating is considered essential. Uh, So he's looking for removal of that. He's looking for a signal about uh, whether this government is going to do anything about the windfall profits of gas companies, uh, which is uh, costing everybody so much. Uh, And uh, I think uh, he's going to be looking for um, something about you know what what has happened that the amount of money that corporations are paying in taxes has has gone down so quickly in the post-recession world so those are the kind of agenda pieces that he's going to be looking for he does have a, an agreement in place um, but you know uh, these things are all politically sensitive so if um, if if mr S- uh, Trudeau doesn't you know start signaling that he's going to go a more austerity route, it's going to be difficult, I think, for Mr. Singh to hold on to the pact.
1: Tom, from a New Democrat perspective, how successful has this agreement between the minority Liberals and the NDP been so far? I mean, we've a lot of the um, requests from Jagmeet Singh have been implemented with regards to yeah. dental care anyway. Yeah, so,
6: so far, so good. I mean, what's been on, put on paper is has been, uh, the word has been kept so far. And uh, family's going to start feeling uh, some support for the dental needs of their children next year. And then the program supposed to be expanded uh, further for the year after that. Those, you know, they're, they're, they're worthy. And I, <laughs> I think they're terrific. Uh, but a lot of people are need emergency help right now because they're already earning poor wages that aren't keeping up with inflation. Prices go up, food goes up. And a lot of people are, are really feeling the pinch um, uh, somebody I work with just recently completed a a, a poll not yet released that, that shows there's a huge number of people who feel that they are um, financially distressed and, and don't see a way out. Uh, and these folks are suffering not only financially, but in their mental health, they're extremely distressed. So the mood of the country is, is in a bad way in mm. because of the economic conditions that we're in. Uh, and people need to see a way out and the government needs to help be that ally.
1: Yeah, all the surveys are are suggesting what you're saying. Uh, John, from the conservative opposition, uh, what do they want to hear?
7: Well, it'd be great to hear an election call.
1: Highly Uh, unlikely. (laughs)
7: Yes, and and failing that. Yes. um, You know, any recognition by this uh, liberal NDP coalition that continued planned tax increases is the last thing we need and maybe a recognition that while climate change needs to be addressed, that the liberal NDP approach of trying to tax people to change their behavior fundamentally has failed and that the biggest thing they could do is address the massive uh, contributors to climate uh, change in China uh, and, you know, maybe export our nuclear power so that we could uh, Get rid of the coal plants that are being opened up every single day across the world.
1: You're speaking specifically to the carbon
7: tax. Yeah, because it's it's a single thing that goes and impacts on everything, right? Like it's it's on it's it's on every good we have. It's on uh, the transportation of every good we have. Um, uh, it, it, it's on every bill that comes in the mail every month to you know to every you know Canadian. And, you know, it's scheduled. It's the single biggest thing that, according to the liberal NDP pact, is scheduled to continue to rise and rise and rise and drive inflation and suppress the economy.
1: And yet we are receiving those rebates, John, to be fair. Uh, we just got another one recently.
7: Yeah. And it, and it continues to be one of the greatest uh, hoodwinks that's ever been done by a political party. Right. It's uh hey, uh, if you give me $20, I'll give you uh, 15 back. What a deal. Uh, and, you know, it, it it doesn't actually work that way. It's uh, against what their intention was, which is to get everybody out of a car into an electric vehicle or better yet, onto transit. that isn't there for the majority of people in Canada. So, you know, their dogmatic approach to dealing with the environment is a valid issue. It's just their complete wrong approach of trying to Cat used taxation to change behavior, which isn't addressing their fundamental goal. In the meantime, it's wrecking havoc on the economy.
1: Here's what we know uh, about what is going to be uh, spoken about from Christopher Freeland regarding the environment. It will mirror elements of recent legislation passed in the United States, expected to focus heavily on driving investment to Canada's clean energy industries in response to new American tax incentives signed into law last summer. It will include uh, a new tax on corporate stock buybacks to encourage companies to invest in their own operations and introduce new or enhanced tax incentives to aid the growth of clean energy, including hydrogen. Uh, Both are part of the Inflation Reduction Act that President Joe Biden negotiated and signed into law in August, which prompted industry players to warn the government Canada needs to match the American investments. Uh, Tom, your reaction to that and whether it's good or bad?
6: Yeah, well, they've cherry-picked mis- what Mr. Biden has done uh, and taking some pieces that will increase uh, corporate welfare, um, which a lot of people have a negative reaction to. I personally feel that sometimes it's appropriate to ha- help nudge businesses in the right direction. Uh, it has to be done well, though. But what she what, what's apparently going to be missed out on is uh, Mr. Biden's uh, plan to ensure there's a minimum corporate tax or the United States. Uh, sorry, the uh, European Union's plan for a windfall profits tax for the, the oil sector. The, the oil companies, we are paying uh, high, high prices because there's an embargo against Mr. Putin. And rightfully so, I agree with that. But these companies are making a profit off of these high prices that we are paying only for that reason, not because their costs went up. European Union is putting a windfall uh, tax on those profits to return that money to the consumer's Are struggling with those high prices that is driving inflation uh, for personal consumption, but also, you know, every step along the supply chain uh, involves transportation that involves fuel prices. Uh, And here in Canada, we saw a report from the Canadians of Tax Fairness that uh, the amount of uh, tax avoidance amongst the largest Canadian corporations has doubled to $30 $30 billion a year in missed income from about $13 billion a year before the pandemic. So the corporations aren't paying their taxes, uh, and the Europeans are trying to do something about that. The Americans are trying to do something about that. Um, where is that in Ms. Uh, Freeland's plan? So she's cherry picking to do only one side, to give more money to corporations, but not all, uh, not also ask those who aren't paying their tax to start paying it or those who are making windfall profits to, to pay some of those back to us.
1: John Mcetitian, uh, what we know in advance about uh, elements of the legislation in the us. coming to fruition here?
7: Well, I, I think it's you know more you know they're trying to to control the economy by not having, you know to maximize the opportunities that Biden has done. But if you look at how successful Biden's being in the United States, I'm not sure uh you know 2 weeks before the midterms or I guess a week now uh how successful uh, his policies have been in general. So, you know, it's 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 a budget that doesn't do what is fundamentally needed right now, which is help average Canadians
1: Okay. Uh, we know that, uh, there will be some information on the state of Canada's economy, on our federal finances, uh, plans the government may have. Uh, the Trudeau Liberals, they're in a position which is slightly further ahead financially than other developed nations in terms of inflation. Our most recent annual number was 6.9. I think that is, uh, among the lowest in the G7, certainly. And a stronger than expected economic recovery driven up, uh, by government tax, or that the stronger than expected economic recovery has driven up government tax revenues. Uh, are we on the right track, Tom, with regard to uh, trying to bring down inflation?
6: Well, uh, I think uh, the, a short answer to that is in a way. The answer is in a way. What we've done is we have, uh, governments have by and large, not addressed um, inflation. There's been no real effort to control prices, even though there's been a lot of economics, economist evidence that uh, there is uh, an element of greedflation going on, where companies are increasing their profit margins, using inflation as a shield for that an excuse. So there's been no action for that, and they've really abandoned the, the fight to the Bank of Canada, who has, uh, which has one tool, and that's interest rates. So the question at this point is, you know, how damaging, uh, how much damage are we willing to do to our economy, and who's going to pay for that uh, to 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 rein in inflation that government won't do? Uh, I will be interested to look at the numbers that they put in the fall economic statement this afternoon to see what is the expectation around growth of our economy, because uh, you know certainly more and more. Uh, uh, economists, even bank economists, are, are, are saying a, a recession next year and higher unemployment is almost inevitable. So it's nice to get high government revenues when things rise, when the economy is strong. But if we're heading downward, then, of course, people's needs become greater and uh, and, and they are not working as much, not providing as much tax revenue. So the the budgetary situation can shift. Uh, from surplus to deficit or larger deficit. So that's, uh, it's, a, it's a, I think an important question about, um, you know, how much damage are we willing to do to our economy, uh, to fight inflation that we won't fight with, that government won't fight? Um, and, and how much, uh, when the, the bill, bill comes in, um, will, uh, will there be an effort to, um, really address you know impose austerity rather than as we usually do during a recession is to try and assist people uh, so to you know to stimulate the economy and try and rekindle growth sure
1: uh, and to your point about greedflation, uh, we will be speaking about that in our final segment today with regard to the three big grocers. So hang in for that. It's always a hot topic here on Fight Back. Uh, John Mcetitian, a final comment to you about uh, what we're expecting to hear regarding our finances, outlook for the economy, inflation control, etc.
7: Uh, not enough. Uh, I don't think the Liberals will do what they need to do. And I think that the uh, Canadians will be disappointed. And I think we're with the uh, Liberal NDP coalition sailing into uh, 2023 with a recession.
1: Well, let me ask you this then uh, with a brand new leader, the Conservatives under Pierre Poiliev. Uh, what is he suggesting uh, moving forward if he were in the same position?
7: Uh, I think he'd uh, tackle the, the interest rates and... Uh, you know, he he looked for the first available opportunity to have this go to the Canadian public so we could get a better government.
1: All right, we will leave it there and we will see what happens at four o'clock this afternoon when the fall economic statement comes down. I thank you both for your time.
6: Okay, thank
1: you. John McIntishan, conservative activist, a political consultant and president of Bradgate Research Group, and NDP commentator Tom Parkin. Jane, for Libby, and still to come on today's Fight Back, is it any surprise the big three grocers reported high profits amid record high inflation? We discuss with our consumer expert next.
0: According to a new
1: report from the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University, three top grocery retailers made higher profits this year amid inflation compared with their average performances over the past five years. Loblaw came out on top over the other grocery retailers since it actually made more profits than each of the past five years individually. The company recently faced a uh, controversy and backlash over its announcement that it would freeze prices for over 1,500 no-name products. A lot of people calling it a publicity stunt. Uh, and by the way, how is it working out for you? Uh, have you noticed your grocery bill having gone down a little bit uh, with the price freeze on no-name products at Loblaw? Numbers to call are 416-360-0740 or one 866 740 for 740. Joining us to discuss this latest news, Ellen Roseman, journalist and consumer advocate. Ellen, thanks for popping in to chat with us again. Hi, Jane. Nice to talk to you again. Let's talk about this situation with higher profits during a time of inflation and stress for grocery shoppers. It really is unsettling, I think, for people who are on a very tight budget.
5: Oh, I agree. The news doesn't sound great. Uh, the thing that we have to remember though is if Loblaws were selling food at exactly the same price as before, um, sorry, if, if Loblaw was selling the amount of food that it had, like if it's, uh, if its volume of food sold in its stores was exactly the same as before and the profits went up, that would mean that it was raising its prices and it was getting more profits per unit of food sold. But I would argue that during the pandemic, Loblaws and and the other chains, too, were probably selling a lot more food. Number one, uh, restaurants were locked up. Uh, many people were working from home. They were eating a lot more at home. They were shopping for food more at home. And many of them were ordering from uh, the delivery services that the supermarkets have. And I found when I was doing that for a while, I couldn't stand it because it's really hard to shop without seeing the food and touching it and feeling it and so on. But um, those prices were higher. They tended to be much higher than in the store. There weren't the same discounts. There weren't the same half-off as the food was about uh-huh. to expire. Mm-hmm. And so those uh, things were all making it easier for the chains to make money. And then the other thing we have to remember is that they all own grocery stores. Sorry, as well as grocery stores, they own pharmacies and drugstores. And they sell some food through there. Uh, which is probably sold at pretty well the same prices, maybe a little bit higher than in the stores. But they sell really high profit items in growth, in, in uh, drugstores such as makeup, cosmetics, hair dye, um, you know, all those over the counter, um, uh, 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 cosmetic items are very, very expensive. And, uh, that raises the, the profits. And in this report, uh, the author Sylvia Charlebois talked about the fact that what we need to do, if we can, I don't know if we have the power to do that, is to ask these big companies, Loblaw, Metro, and um, Sobeys, to break down what aspects of their profits come from food and what come from non-food items. Like even in the grocery stores, they will sell very expensive appliances and things like that. Oh, true, true. So uh, to really know what they're making on food, it would be great if they could separate it for us. It would probably be helpful for the investors as well, because they want to know where the profits are coming from.
1: Well, and and to your point, uh, it makes you wonder, shouldn't they have had record profits in 2020? Because as you said, we weren't going out to restaurants. The only place we were going was the pharmacy and the grocery store. So that was kind of like a form of entertainment in a weird way. Uh, you You would have thought that that would have been the year where they would be making these huge profits or bigger profits.
5: Yeah, the revenues probably went up a fair bit because all that restaurant food was not being sold, you know, except through takeout and uh, not many of us were, you know, finding that convenient and also it's very expensive with the uh the delivery services and how much they take out of the bill. So, uh it was it was a time when the supermarkets could be selling a lot more. And uh, they uh, were, you know, more conveniently located. Uh, for many of us, we can't get everything we need to eat at a small independent store because um, it's harder to get it home and, um, you know, it's just not as easy to shop there. So we were probably going to the grocery stores more. And like you said, entertainment, just a way to get out of the house and enjoy our meals more and take out a whole variety of different kinds of food and uh In, in the articles that I've read, they all say that their profit margin stayed pretty well the same, which is like three to four percent, which is pretty low for retailers. And the reason why it's low is that supermarkets have such a great volume of foods that they can make money even when these profit margins are low. I also remember back in February, remember Loblaw stopped stocking chips made by a specific manufacturer? Yes. um, Humpty Dumpty, I think. and there the, were a whole openings on the shelves, you know, and yeah. the shelves where the chips were. And they said it was because the manufacturer, which was yeah, Frito-Lay, wanted to pass on a higher price increase, and they didn't want to do it. They were Loblo said they were putting their foot down, and Shoppers Drug Mart as well. It eventually got resolved, and um, it's not clear, like, where all these price increases are coming from. Sometimes they're coming from the farm level, sometimes they're coming from the manufacturer's level, and in this case with the chips, this is an international, you know, a multinational company that's setting the prices, and uh, I've noticed myself, uh, when I shop, uh, the potato chips and all those variety of things are way more um, inflationary than other things, and it's maybe because it's such an easy sell, you know, when people aren't feeling great, they go for the junk food, Yeah. and you know, when they're watching sports at home and all that kind of thing.
1: So it would seem then uh, if we were doing more shopping and buying more groceries in 2020 when the inflation rate was at zero and now it's at 7%, it would seem that inflation really is a playing a role um in terms of the prices being higher. But as a result of, of being a grocery retailer, you're in a position where you're taking that inflationary increase, but somehow working it to your own advantage.
5: Um. I'm not sure if that follows, but they're they're trying their best, I think, to try and give us some relief on some of the items that aren't going up in price. Like one of the things that I read about, and we buy a lot of it, bananas. You know, they're still like 69 cents a pound, which is pretty good, and they're pretty nutritious. And there are some things that have gone down or stayed the same, I'd say. And uh, maybe what they should do is try and, you know, focus on the things that are still great bargains and bring those to us, and then try when they can to take the, you know, the highest inflation hit items that are also healthy and reduce them. Uh, and also maybe they can get involved a bit in some of the, you know, sort of, uh, nutrition education we need, like instead of buying vegetables and fruits when they're out of season and they've traveled a long way and there's probably not that much nutrition when you finally eat them, they should focus on their version of the fresh frozen stuff that we can buy or the, the good alternatives that come in cans uh, so that we can still get, you know, that nutrition, but we don't have to buy the overpriced uh, stuff in the stores that's fresh or so-called fresh.
1: At the end of the day, what actions can consumers take, whether greedflation actually is playing a role in in what's going on at the grocery stores, in trying to get uh, the best quality products at the lowest prices? How do we go about doing that?
5: I think it's important to uh, start price matching, you know, getting... uh, Online, I think you can probably find out what the specials are at each of the big chains. And uh, the ones that interest you, if you uh, normally shop at Chain X and it's on sale at Chain Y and there's a real big difference, you go to Chain Y and you tell them that you're a loyal shopper, you're here all the time, but you'd really like to match the price over here uh, because otherwise you're not going to shop at all at this store today, you're going to go to the other one and get that item and some of the other items. So that's something you can do um, and just keep uh, uh, looking for coupons and discounts. And also um, another thing about Loblaws, one reason I think that it might be doing so well is that their um, point system, their uh, PC Optimum, allows you to create uh, discounts on food in a pretty quick way, you know, if you're shopping quite a lot. And, uh, you can use those points for gas at, at certain drugs, uh, at Esso, uh, uh, gas stations. Mm-hmm. And they have created a loyalty program that is way more appealing than other stores loyalty programs. And I think Sobey's is just about to drop air miles. So those other ones have to catch up because with the point system, you really can focus your shopping at one chain and get discounts in a pretty rapid way, you know, once you shop uh, regularly.
1: And I don't know about you, but I've really noticed this, and I'm right now looking at my PC Points app, and I noticed that when I open it every Thursday, there are now more deals uh, on unto themselves as opposed to deals uh, as opposed to points being given with certain products. Like now there is a long list here, uh, including on PC gourmet coffee. Um, uh, ch- no name. Oh, actually Lay's chips selected varieties that okay. old fashioned style bacon, the thick cut, which was up to, I think, around eighteen dollars. Uh, my app today says it's they're on sale for ten They've got cheddar here. And then they get into the points. So okay. I don't know. To be fair to Loblaw, are they trying extra hard since they got the flack for um, the, the no-name uh, publicity stunt? <laughs> that probably uh,
5: made it, you know, uh, uh, more likely. Uh, I did hear uh, Sylvain Charlebois, the professor who was talking about uh, Loblaws, He's been doing this for a while and about the greedflation. He said that the Loblaws' freeze on no-name prices, uh, which is 1,500 items, is bigger than any other grocer around the world that he's seen that is announcing a price freeze. There's more items there than usually. It's more like 100 or 150 items. So, but still, I don't know if that would create, uh, uh, you know, a big a discount. But the nice thing about the Loblaws points is that they use artificial intelligence to give them a sense of what you're shopping for. Mm -hmm. So they're always giving you discounts on stuff that you're buying all the time. And that makes it much more attractive than some that are just across the board um, decreases on things that you may never buy.
1: Right. No, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. And I feel like I say to my husband sometimes, I feel like I'm getting around inflation because of the PC Optimum program and also buying the products that are on sale every week. So if broccoli's on sale. That's what we're having this week. If it's cauliflower next week, then I buy the cauliflower. I try to stay away from buying the full priced items.
5: Yes. We also have started looking at the half-price items that are reaching their expiry date, right. like bread and
1: right. uh, sometimes
5: meat or fish, or cheese, and eating yeah. them that night, because those are great deals.
1: Yeah, they absolutely are. Uh, Ellen, it's always a pleasure, informative and entertaining. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Jane. Bye. Ellen Roseman is a journalist and consumer advocate. Jane, for Libby, I've enjoyed being here with you this week. Please make sure and uh, listen to The Best of Fight Back with yours truly, Saturdays and Sundays at 12.30 here on Zoomer Radio. And tomorrow, uh, my friend and colleague Bob Komsik will be taking your calls on free for all Friday. So make sure to join Bob after the new news tomorrow. Right now, he's got the one o'clock news.